Or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going In Circles Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Simon. Welcome to Going In Circles Live. It's uh, Tuesday. We're about uh, a week and a half out from the, uh, the championship meet of... The Breeders' Cup. I guess it's not a championship meet. It's two days, but it is uh, the championship events for thoroughbred racing. And um, on the Tuesday prior, the, the week prior, we're, we're talking about Bob Baffert, as usual. And it's not a uh, it's not a topic of um, of of good fortune. So to speak, it's it's. Uh, we're not talking about um, his chances to win the classic with his three contenders. We're not talking about uh, the races. We're talking about um, a race that took place back in uh, July at Del Mar. That's mostly been forgotten about, but as it turns out, uh, Mr. Baffert has got another positive test. This time for a cough medicine, something that's found in human cough medicine. They're claiming environmental contamination, which very well may be. It's just difficult to wrap your your arms around the fact that it just almost seems impossible to get uh, for, for a, a high-profile barn to have so many different issues in in such a short period of time that that's not even taken into consideration the uh the justify debacle that the uh, the california horse racing board completely botched um and it's it's wound up in court and there's all kinds of issues there and it's just uh it's a bad look uh the only you could say you could put a little positive spin. Is they're happening so fast that the uh, the public can barely keep up. They they might uh, not even realize that there's a, a brand new positive to talk about. And it's uh, I I was on Steve's show yesterday on at the races talking about this very topic before the 
news that um, the latest the latest positive uh, had been released, and this this one they're still working on it. There's uh, the split sample has not been come back. Every time you get a positive, generally you will request a split sample, which means they will send some of the sample to a different laboratory to have them run the test to to make sure that uh, the, the original laboratory's findings weren't an error. It, it happens on occasion that, that they're not able to verify it, but, but not, not often, and especially not for um, commonly used medications where the testing is, is pretty, uh, it's pretty solid. It's uh, it's not defensible in this 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 way, and and I understand the people that want to throw darts at the guy because the fact is that there's uh, there's just so many um, violations. Just the sheer number of them is is just uh, it's such a troubling. Um, Trend and and I just don't know how else to to put it because uh, it, it's it's gotten to be um, a real a real black eye and I said on Steve's show yesterday that the system is part of the reason that we have these issues. They're, they're, the system we have is really not very good. It's a holdover from a time when the testing levels were were not nearly as strong <clears throat> as, as they are now. And people confuse sometimes the the real, the sinister drugs that any detection of at any level that, that should not be in a horse ever, that, that are actual performance enhancers, those those are the ones, the class ones, the bad class ones, that, that really no one has any issue almost at all with them. They find their way into a horse, it's generally because they were given it. They were given it. To, it's it's the problem is is that the testing levels are so much stronger than they were even twenty years ago that we get so many positive tests at such a minute level that it gets to be um, a little monotonous when you're you're trying to explain picograms to people and and the fact is that in uh, the quote unquote old days you couldn't test. <laughs> at, at any anything close to the magnitude and, and to the way they test they do now uh, I understand that you're going to say hey, well, how come a lot of other people aren't getting these positives and you would be right and there are positives out there it's not as though no one is getting them and, and it's not an issue it just isn't horses that um, or, or trainers or, or connections that are, are famous and things happen to, to famous people that become news that happen to normal people that uh, isn't news. And and that's one of the prices of fame. And uh, I had said this on a podcast last week about one of the complaints by some of the bigger trainers was, well, we have so many more samples, so we're more likely to test you know, positive. And, and, and that really falls on deaf ears in my eyes And that that is the price of, of operating a larger stable yeah you you are at more at risk because of that and and that's part of the downside of operating a large stable if you want to lower your risk lower your numbers um 
that that's you're not going to get much sympathy from anyone that's not uh, a fanboy from that area. Oh, well, we have a lot more horses, so we have a lot more horses tested. Well, yes, you're also making a lot more money and you're winning a lot more races. So it, it cuts both ways. But uh, it's unfortunate, the timing. It's, I guess maybe it's fortunate it's not next week. But um, it'll be uh, interesting to see how NBC approaches it. They have a lot of hours of coverage of the Breeders' Cup, and it's impossible to ignore this story, especially when one of the favorites, if not the favorite, in one of the races, the, the Philly Sprint, Gamine will probably be the favorite, deservedly so. And to ignore the story, I just don't think that's going to happen. Um, they've got to fill a lot of airtime, and this is a, a this is a story. It, it's a legitimate story. It's not uh, muckraking. It is a story, and it, and it should be covered. Um, no matter how we how much we, we prefer to have our uh, championship weekend um, unscathed by these sort of things, and and hopefully we get through the. Uh, the 14 races and the undercard races without any fatalities. Like last year, we almost made it to the last race. Unfortunately, the Mongolian groom was unfortunately um, injured uh, fatally in that race. But um, it's it's part of the, the story, and, and as such, they're going to cover it. I'm not sure if they're going to give Bob a puff piece interview if they're going to just accept whatever he says if they're going to be critical if they're going to put one of their um non you know non-normal racing guys on on i, I don't know it's it's uh, it remains to be seen and certainly um it, it's going to be brought up but uh I've seen people say that you know Baffert should get suspended for a year. He should get this. He should get that. And I, I, I still have a hard time getting worked up over what he's come back positive for. I just think that it, it's the volume, the number, the quantity of violations that's adding up. If I get four speeding tickets, I lose my license, even if I'm only going two miles an hour over the speed limit. And speeding is not DUI. It's not uh, uh, shooting somebody. It's not you know. It's not a, a violation of that sort. But you get enough of them, and you have to serve some punishment in this business. And I'm not naive enough to think that this is going to happen. But the real punishment is not getting suspended. The real punishment is losing business. It's losing customers. That's where you lose money. And Setting a system up where the fines are um, enough that a person, uh, a super trainer, would feel a little bit of pain would be egregiously high for everyone else. And you can't set up penalties that only the upper 1% can actually pay without bankrupting them. So it's a difficult task. It, this is not the NBA. This is not the NFL, where all the players make a, at least a certain amount of money. 
And when you find a guy a game salary or two game salaries or half a season, it hurts. It hurts. And it's similar to the jockey situation where uh, I read Ortiz, if you find him $3,000, he he might carry that around in his wallet. If you find a a bug boy $3,000 and he just started, he he probably going to have to sell his car to pay for that. So, there's there's a lot there's a great deal of discrepancy between our outfits in this business and and that makes the penalty system difficult. The real penalty is owners putting their foot down and saying, "Well, we're not going to support this type of activity." Except that's probably not going to happen because owners are much more willing to win and look the other way. And if you don't think that's true, you're just kidding yourself. And if you're one of those owners, hey, it's your prerogative. But you're not helping the business. You're hurting the business. Maybe you win a couple extra races, but when your 38% trainer gets caught, don't pretend like you didn't know. You didn't know. You knew. You didn't maybe know exactly what was going on. And there's people out there still operating still doing whatever it is that they're doing in spite of the the FBI involvement earlier in the year and I think it's naive to believe that that scared people straight maybe it scared some people straight there's certain trainers whose numbers have really fallen off since the, the early spring and maybe they just lost an owner maybe they don't have the horses maybe their horses um, went through conditions there's, there's a lot of reasons why a trainer gets cold but let's not pretend that uh, when you're when you're tweeting out your latest winner, your latest horse you bred, the latest horse you sold, just ran a hole in the wind for a trainer that wins an awful lot of races. Just remember, just remember when when these things kind of happen, and you know you should get some of the spotlight as well. And that's just the the reality of the situation. I mean, baseball had a problem. We talked about it last night, Barry and I talked about it, and where baseball had a steroid problem, and they more or less um, promoted it. They they promoted the long ball. Chicks dig the long ball, the home run. You had guys hitting sixty and seventy home runs for a hundred years. Two guys hit sixty home runs. Two guys. No one else really got close. And all of a sudden you had guys hitting 70 and everybody was kind of like, hey, attendance is up, interest is up, business is up. Let's go with it. And uh, we see how that worked out. But uh, I don't have a a real solution to this problem. I I just know that um, we can't continue to let things be uh, we also can't um, you know Rick Dutro was treated unfairly regardless of your feelings about him to get a 10 year suspension for the violations that he had listed was like getting 3 years in jail for 2 speeding tickets and that's not right either but something needs to be done. I don't know what it needs to be done. We need to talk about it, and it needs to 
at some point, racetracks are going to have to get involved as well. And it's their product. So, <sighs> just hate to have to talk about this all the time, but to to not talk about it would be uh, would be just as uh, would be just as bad because it it's it needs to be talked about. And if you go on Twitter today, that's virtually anything anyone's talking about uh, in regards to horse racing. So that is where we're at today. We have a couple guests, um, both trainers. Both uh, friends of mine that that for a, for a very long long time, which kind of makes us old. Um, first, we're going to have uh, Louis Carvajal, who's going to join us before he saddles one at uh, at Parks. He's got one in the ninth. And is this Louis? Are you here? This is an English show, Louis. Can someone translate and find out if Louis saying he's a lock in the ninth? Are you a cinch, Louis? I can hardly hear you. You can hardly hear me. Yeah. That might be Parks. It's the Parks syndrome. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> they block all the outgoing signals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're 100 percent right on that. Louis Carvajal, how are you, my friend? Well, I, I I can't complain. I, I had a good year, and uh, the beginning of the year was a little sad that, that we retired the big horse. So, the, the big little I'm horse. Trying to recover from that. Imperial hint, and he's yes, he's, he's uh, going to stud, right? Yeah, uh, it was sold to a farmer in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a dad. Uh, probably too. He's going to do some quarter horses too. Quarter, quarter horses, something like that too. Well, he certainly was fast enough. That's for sure. Oh yeah, he had a great resume. How how did um, just for people that don't know, uh, Imperial Hint was a, a, a top sprinter on the East Coast for uh, a couple years, and he's got the track record at does at, at Saratoga. Yep. Yeah, he has this track record for six flooring at Saratoga, which is a. Uh, Every, every virtually every great horse in the twentieth and twenty first century has has run at Saratoga, and to have the horse that ran the fastest uh, at the most popular distance is uh, it's got to be nice to, to to have that record. Well, yeah, uh, believe me, it was uh, it's one of those moments you never want to forget. Um, and you, I mean, you train in Saratoga, and you won races and stake races in Saratoga, but you know, it's like you know having a horse that. Break the track record after what forty-seven years standing there. I mean, it's it's uh, definitely a pleasure, and and I got to see when uh, Javier he was coming back to the winner's circle and they gave him a standing ovation. And, uh, it's, like, it doesn't happen all the time, Chuck. No, it, it certainly doesn't. It certainly doesn't. And uh, I, I was happy to watch you win all those races and go all over the place with that horse because I, I remember when, believe it or not. Louis started out as a jockey. Oh, yeah, a hundred pounds ago. <laughs> I always think it's funny. I tell people, you know, Steve Asmussen was a jockey, and they're like, "What?" And I was like, "I know, it's hard to believe." He's got about forty pounds of hair now, but uh, <laughs> he, he started out. Wesley Ward started out as a jockey. Actually, Wesley was a really good jockey. 
Wesley yeah. was a really good jockey, but Wesley, Wesley likes Ward, yeah. We- I, I remember those, yeah. Wesley likes to eat, the, Wesley likes jockey. to eat too much and drink beer too much. So his his uh, he, he's about a hundred pounds ago too. But uh, well, I got I got my hundred pounds on ice cream, not beer, but <laughs> ice cream. <laughs> I know. Listen, when you get to be our age, it doesn't go away. That's the problem. <laughs> Yeah, it just sit there. The fat just sit there, and it doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> and especially, you know, I stopped riding in the mornings too, because uh, I think uh, I think I lost my heart somewhere around the quarter pole at Mama Park someday <laughs> or something. So I would not ride the name in the pony anymore. You know what your problem is, Louis? You're a little too smart to be a jockey. You know, jockeys have to have that 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 gene that they're just a little bit like a kamikaze to sit in there. Three inches away from another clipping and heel horse's heels and going forty miles an hour with with no brakes, no steering. It's uh, I, I give them a lot of credit. I know we give them a lot of crap, but that's not an easy thing to do. Yeah, it's not easy. But yeah, but like I said, you know, it's, uh, sometimes it's like I wanted to ride, but uh, I just want to play safe. Now I don't, I don't even fly no more because I, I'm scared that I. There are crash or something, and I have a kid and wife and daughter, so, <laughs> so I better stay in the ground. So, uh, you started Bobby Durso, right? That, that's where you started out? Uh, as a trainer, yeah. I yeah. worked for Bob Durso for 10 years. And so after he retired, he got a little eel, and uh, I took over the barn, same clients, and uh, that's, why, that's, when, that's when I started. Yeah, Bobby Durso was a was a regular on the uh, the New Jersey uh, Florida circuit. Um, ah, yeah, correct. It was, and I'm still on the same one. I I, I remember when I first started working for Bob Durso, I marked it with uh, in one of the poles there by the barn. I put uh, LC Junior in 1997, and it's still there, and it's still in the same barn at Mammon Park. Wow, same barn that Bobby Durso was many years ago. Well, that's nice to have some continuity because there's a lot of changes in in, in the world, not only in the business, but uh, the fact that you're still in the same barn here, what, 23 years later, that's, uh, that means something. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, I like Mama Park. It's a beautiful track, so I'm happy to be there. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it certainly changed from, you know, when 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 Durso was there, where it was a regular summer meet and had a full full five day racing week, and um, of course, you know, Atlantic City was still around, and Garden State even was was still around, and the Meadowlands still ran a a meet with dirt races too, not just the, the turf races, but New Jersey racing has has shrunk an awful lot, and thankfully, Mammoth is still there, still holding on, and. Uh, Hopefully the next year there, we can get an actual meet, a real meet, as opposed to uh, how it got chopped up this year. But I guess it's a good thing that, that, that we got going there, period, right? Oh, yeah. I, I was just happy. I was worried a little bit when I was in Tampa we were going to be stuck there. But, you know, they, they did a very good job. You know, they did a very good job at Mama Park. And hopefully next year we just will be more normal. But... Uh, I can't complain, Chuck, because I had a good season that I'm on for. Even though it was short, but I, I did have a, a good run. How, and, uh, so I'm, I look forward to for that. 
How many horses do you have now, currently? Uh, I got about 25 horses. I think this is the most I ever have, usually. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I was going uh, to split the, the barn. I'll have uh, 12 horses, uh, Palmettos, to run a golf team park, and then I'll, I'll have 15 or something like that at Tampa Bay Downs. That's where the, my house is over there, but... Uh, so I'll be, I mean, I'm looking forward to go back to, I mean, I haven't been in golf training in a while. I mean, I run in Perihen, right uh, last year there, but uh, besides that, you know, I get to see a lot of my friends from New York and Angel Penn, I think he's in Palmeiras. I would love to see him. Yeah, see, Angel's still he's there. I might second that. He's still there. He still won't play yeah. me in tennis, but he's still there. Yeah, he's <laughs> He was a good tennis player for a while. We used to make fun of him. I told him, I said, I'm going to wait till you're old enough and, and you can't move around anymore. Then I'll play you. But he won't play me anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about what you said before about Mamon Park when Bobby Dusu was there. And there used to be Meadowlands and uh, Garden State. Garden State. And they have Atlantis. He didn't always strike. And, you know, I don't consider myself young or old yet, but I, it's, I remember I Garden State and Atlantic City, Maryland, and I can't believe we are old. We have four tracks there, and it's only one standing. <laughs> uh, you know, people forget. It's funny how, how you're, um, especially people that, that ha- are new to the business, that haven't been around as long as we have. And I was talking to someone the other day and saying it wasn't that long ago that New York ran six days a week all year round. They ran six days a week in uh, at Aqueduct on the inner track. And I said it wasn't that long ago that New Jersey had year-round racing, thoroughbred racing, all year. Garden State raced in the winter and and uh, into the spring. Meadowlands was in the fall. Monmouth was in the summer. And Atlantic City had a short little meet in, in, uh, in August. And uh, it, it was a really uh, – it was, it was a, a strong – circuit it wasn't quite as good as new york but it certainly was a, a b-level circuit it was was far better than most of the other mid-atlantic tracks which um now between parks and monmouth and uh laurel they're all kind of on the same level the, the horses are pretty much interchangeable and unfortunately i think that that's going to wind up changing probably in the next couple of years and that there just won't be enough horses for to, to have all those tracks in that that small area running at the same time. Delaware looks looks like that they're having the the toughest time of it, uh, filling races and, and getting horses there. But uh, yeah, it's 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 kind of you know scary when you think Mammoth is running two and three day a week, and you look at California where where they're struggling with three days a week. That used to be a five and six day racing circuit as well, and and uh, the handle numbers are, are just a shell of what they what they were and. I don't know if it's uh, it's a little scary when when you look at the the sports betting numbers and and this is this is something that people are probably tired of hearing me saying but the real enemy for for racetracks is, is sports betting it's it's not other racetracks it's sports betting because sports betting takes our customers and takes their money and puts it somewhere else and I know you guys get a little bit of it in New Jersey at Monmouth you get some back and the guys at the Meadowlands get a little bit but it, it's not much it's not certainly like uh, what we would need to to get to offset our potential losses and and that's uh it's just a different world and uh 
I mean, hopefully we can we can come to uh, you know the powers that be in the sport can can figure out a, a way forward because uh, I mean personally did did you have trouble getting races for some of your horses with a, such a, a reduced racing schedule? Oh yeah, definitely it is. You know, I did. It's, it's you know it's tough. It's getting tougher and tougher because you you have a horse and you you train the specifically horse for for a race which is in the condition book and uh, and then you find yourself races not going and then of course you have fifteen races on the book and you have another fifteen in the overnight. So now you got thirty races and you're making ten or twelve. That's it. So half of those they go to the side. So it, it gets tough. I mean. Luckily, I mean, Marble Park, for the race of Don't Go, you can ship somewhere else. You can ship to Delaware Parks or something to run them, um, to find a race. But uh, it's, it's tough. I mean, I I think I got stuck uh, towards the end of this meeting in Marble Park with a filly that we claim for one of my clients. And we figured, you know, we're running back in three weeks. But, you know, race never went until a couple of times. And the race number one, and then the meet is over, and then that's it. <laughs> I didn't even get to run the horse, but it just definitely it's, it's it's getting a little difficult when you run three days a week when versus five or you know it just like you said you know it's, it's the 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 horses are not dead anymore like you used to, and unfortunately, New Jersey we had a couple of bad years. Well, we lost some of the subside money from Atlantic City casinos, and and um, you can see how dramatically those uh, uh, the babies, the Jersey breads, they drop, they drop dramatically. Uh, they were like, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe thirty folds, twenty five folds Jersey bread, which is that's, I mean, a lot of the farm they went. Bank a little bit, and then you know, I just that's why you're not seeing that many anymore. I mean, you know, tons when then the sport betting came in, and that helped a little bit, but it's, it's I don't know, Chuck, it's it's it's, it's, it's tough, but the business is definitely tough, and then all these new rules are coming, and we have the new rules with the no whip, and Mama Park probably next year, and it's not, it's not make, they're not making it easy, that's for sure. No, I had Chris DiCarlo on a couple of weeks ago when they first passed that rule, and you know some of the things that we were talking about um, was if you're not allowed to use the whip at all, only for quote-unquote safety, then essentially you're going to have stewards having to read the mind of jockeys and why did he hit the horse and you know are we going to disqualify him? And I said, not to mention, I said, you know what, Chris, before we make a race official, they're going to have to watch the replay over and over again to make sure that no one hit their horse at all. And, you know, you watch a replay on the turf, especially when it's kind of a bunched group, it's not all that easy to see. I said, you, you, you might take 10 minutes to make a race official. It's uh, Yeah, that's, that's going to be a problem. I think it would be a problem, too, because if you, you know this, <clears throat> you know how states, all the states and race they have different rules all over the country that they don't, Particularly, it's like one rule for every racetrack, same rules apply. And that's tough because now you have horses that are going to be running on parks. They might actually react to a horse right. when you tap them a few times with the 
stick and the horse will respond to that. And then you're going to have the same horse going to Mammon Park, which you're not allowed to touch him when it's necessary. And it's not going to perform the same way. And then you're going to have to scratch your head and what, what's going to happen there. Uh, it's going to be a lot of questions. Hopefully it doesn't get that confused in next year. Yeah, it, it, uh, it seems that no, none of the states have worked together at all to try to come up with similar rules. They all just do their own thing, and then everybody thinks their rule is the best, or they want to pat themselves on the back. And I think the people in New Jersey on the Racing Commission um, have made a, a massive error, and I think it's going to hurt New Jersey racing a lot, because I know that uh, there are guys that are... are you know, betters that that have expressed to me that they have virtually stopped betting California because of the new whip rules, and it's hard to tell. Um, it, it just doesn't look the same. It, it's it's such a different look, and when the jockeys are, are having to count, and you know, they, they can only bring the whip so high, and and it's just it seems like they're putting the jockeys in a position where they almost can't win and somehow or another that it's it's got the word encouraged has suddenly become like a bad word and you know this is a game that we're trying to win everyone's putting your horse in the gate the object is to win the race it's not just to go out there and run around the track and when we start making it um like quote unquote bad to try really hard I, I just have a problem with that, and, and I'm, I'm for rules that make sense to protect the horses, but allow the jockeys to do their job and and, and make you know sure that that uh, the people betting on the races still feel like they're getting a fair shake, and uh, and that goes for the owners as well. That goes for the owners as well, and like you said, what, what you said is very is very true. If you're riding at uh, uh, and, and listen, at some point the COVID thing is going to be gone and the jockeys are going to be going back and forth to different tracks. And, you know, you're going to have a guy riding uh, one day at Monmouth and the rules are such there. And then the next day at Parks and the rules are there. And then he might go to Delaware and the rules are different there. And and it's just uh, for what gain? And that that's my question is that I just don't see the tangible benefit of, of doing this and Having rules is fine, but have rules that are workable rules. And uh, these just seem to be, there just doesn't seem to be a lot of thought as to the, the fallout from them. And that that's, I guess, my biggest problem is they're not considering the impact of the rule. They're just doing the rule and saying, hey, we're for safety. And yeah, well, it's, it's gonna, like I said, it's going to be confusing and difficult. Uh, I, I think with the, the rules are not, uh, not using the whip, uh, you can abuse the whip. It's just the whip is it's 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 a tool that the jockey has. And you can't abuse it, which is the right thing to do. And then plus, you know, Dominguez came out with this kind of three sixty three sixty whip and the corner but uh, which is a round thing. There, it's it's. I I just thinking about that. Not being available to use a whip on the race, I think that's wrong. Uh, and you know, you know, you're a trainer. You used to be a trainer, I don't know, but it's you know, most of our guys. There, of course, there are going to be a few bad apples in the industry, but usually, I mean, I still haven't 
mad, uh, like actually see somebody who don't care so much for these horses, you know, like we actually, I think we care more about uh, about the barn and the horses than actually our own family. I mean, I spend more time with the horses than actually my son and my wife. And, you know, we do care these horses so much, and I think most of the people do. And, of course, you know, we get some bad apples, and then everybody thinks it's the same thing. But uh, it's going to be, you know, like I said, you know, it's, it's getting uh, it's getting tough, this business. And, you know, uh, and then hopefully they'll, they'll come out with an idea that rules that you can apply nationwide, not just the one state. I know how it's going to be tough, but... You know, with all the medications, stuff like that, and, and everything changed with each state and everything. So it's, especially, I mean, I, I don't have a lot of horses. I mean, I, I, I have 25, which is enough, I think. But there's some other one who has 50, 60, 70 horses, 80, 100 horses, you know, and you have to have a good crew. But, uh, well, I think we will survive, but it's just going to get tougher. That is true. That is very true. What about uh, what about your horse today? You got one in the parks in the ninth. Yeah, uh, that's going to be my last horse running here in the north on the east coast. Um, I have one in the ninth for Mister Raymond Mamon, who used to run in Imperial Hand. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very good. I think it's a very salty race. It's, uh, we got. Juan Duarte has a nice horse there. Uh, there's some. Uh, it's, it's not an easy spot, but I, I, my horse like. I mean, he, he did run here last year, and it won't be easily. Uh, it's a year older now, so at least I know that he can handle the track. You know how parts it can be a little tricky for some horses here, but uh, I yeah. think we have a very good chance. I mean, that's why I'm going to just. I think he can do good, but uh, like I said, I. He won good last year, so I'm expecting that he'll run a good race. Park Parks is one of, is that funny track that the inside is is almost never good. It's always you always see everybody going five and six wide. And when I first went there, I, I was watching the races, and I was like, because you know, honestly, you don't watch many parks races if you're not around in that that area because they're not on TVG, and and I mean, they run on odd days. They run on most places dark days, so. I was like, "Wow! Everybody rides in the middle of the track. Like, is the is the inside really that bad?" And, and I remember Tony Black saying, "Yes, it's that bad." But uh, yeah, it's, I think it's uh, you know I did train here for I stay here I think almost two years. That's when my kitty was born, and I didn't want to move anywhere over the winter, so I stayed in parts. I was here for two years, and the track it gets sometimes really, really heavy. I mean, horses that run three quarters and one fourteen. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, Good horses. But, uh, too. It's hard in the winter. It, it, it's, you know, it gets to uh, you know, it gets to froze very easily. Yeah, but, I, was, uh, I was there for a, co- a couple winters, and and that was the thing was it would get really cold, and they couldn't put water on it, and it would just it would turn into like a dust bowl almost. And yeah, and well, you saw yeah last year the the big race of Pennsylvania Derby. My waiter, one of my friends, uh, John Canelli, on the horse, and he ran a, a really good race. But it's like I say, you know, this track it, it can it can be uh, tricky. So it's uh, 
Even though this track sometimes seems heavy, I remember when Imperial Hand won here before I went the first year to Dubai when he got sick. Mm -hmm. He ran here and he ran him uh, 107 and change. <laughs> 107 and 26. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, Chuck is going to be really hard to find another horse that fast. Yeah, there's, you know, when I worked for, for Alan Jerkins, we had uh, we had Kelly Kipp. And uh, I, I've never been around a horse as fast as he was. And I think Imperial Hint, actually, he was kind of a small horse, too. But he had set, I think, five track records. He set, he had the track record for five ace at Belmont. He had the track record for three quarters at Aqueduct. He had, for a while, the track record at six and a half at Saratoga. Um, and he has a track record at a oh at the Finger Lakes that, that a track record that'll never be broken. He went one hundred eight and one at the Finger Lakes, and nowadays they rarely break one twelve at the Finger Lakes. So uh, that that race that they used to run, they used to run it's called the Budweiser Breeders Cup hand, uh, handicap at the Finger Lakes. It was the uh, the biggest race of the year. They would run open race, not New York breads, and it was two hundred thousand dollars purse. But uh, you, you used to get a good field, and uh, that's that's a race that that went away when they when the Breeders' Cup kind of uh, changed up their philosophy of of seeding races throughout the year and and used it all for you know adding new races to the Breeders' Cup itself. But uh, yeah, those kind of horses, and and you know the funny thing about them is like I tell people, you don't train them really that much different; they're just fast. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can't train them to go that fast. They they just no. They're just it's, fast. They're, they're 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 already made like that. So like everybody, I think some of the people already told me some of the special one of the big trainers that I met, and it's easier to ruin that kind of horse and just making them better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you, you know, the good ones. A lot of times, you just got to stay out of their way. You know. Like you, you don't want to do too much and mess them up, and just just leave them be. Put them in the gate, and 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 they're they're gonna more often than not, the good ones want to be good too. That's that's the other thing. That's the one thing that you try to tell people the difference between a talented horse that really doesn't really care about running as much versus one that really wants to run. That's the difference between um, a great horse and and just a, a good horse. And yeah, yeah, you're right, Chuck. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's last last year when Imperium broke the traffic of Saratoga, I, Chas Summer, I always went to the barn at Chas Summer barn. He had a nice barn in Saratoga and in the main track. And and when I was running against Mitole, which he was a really nice horse, a really good horse, and he had just, you know, beat Mackenzie and a bunch of other nice horses in Mendel. So I think he was there on, on the Met Mile. I think it was in New York. And I needed to run against that horse. And, then, you know, I had, I didn't have that much pressure like the year before when I was one to five. This year, uh, last year, uh, when I when I ran the Vanderbilt against Kitoli, I was five to one shot. So I was, I you know, I like my horse, but, you know, you needed to beat Mitoli. And when they went by the corridor and went by those horses, like they were standing still, it was like I, I was. That's why. That's why the horse just like you said, they the great horses. They just wanted to run and 
they they just wanted to win. You know, that's that's the difference. When another horse, they have talent, but they just don't try. Mm-hmm. Right. That's 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 one of the things that's uh, you can't tell when you buy one. You can't tell. A lot of times, you can't even tell when you're training them. I mean, how many horses have you had have trained really good, and uh, and when you know you're expecting a lot more from them than you run them, and, and they don't run nearly as good. I said that happens way more than the opposite. You 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 rarely have one that doesn't train good at all, and you put them in the races, and they they run off and win <laughs> win by ten. That 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 usually that almost never happens. But I, I tell yeah. you that they make you look bad because you say you know I think this horse is pretty good. He's worked pretty good. He's outworked a couple horses, and then you put him in a race, and they finish seventh by eighteen lengths, and you're like, what the hell happened? You know, and they just some of them just don't have it. Yeah, I you know I I learned that a long time ago. You know, a lot of people ask me like. <clears throat> When I go to the races and I win a race and the horse pays seventy dollars, a lot of people ask me, "Oh, do you bet the short?" I say, "I don't." First of all, I don't like to bet my horses. I don't know. I, 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 you know, I just don't. And 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 plus, people ask me about the horses, and I always say, you know, if it's the truth, well, the horse, you know, is training good, but I never wanted to say, "Yeah, I can't lose," or oh, he has a good chance because. They'll make you lie. I, I can have a horse. Yeah, you can have a horse that's training really well and looks good in the race, and then he doesn't run no good. And but I got a lot of times people asking me, "Oh, you make a, you made a ton of money today? Horse pays seventy dollars, a hundred dollars, and it just sometimes it just surprises you know horses that are like that. You know they they run when they want to, or they run when everything goes their way, and then they win. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I have, I remember, I don't know, that probably, probably maybe 10 years ago, I used, I thought I had the biggest paid off in the life of Gulf Stream Park, which, which I wasn't because and then there was another horse who paid 404000 My horse paid $315 to win with Junior Alvarado when he was an apprentice. And there are, my client, he was in New Jersey at that time. And I call him before the race, and I say, you know, this horse is doing really good, training good. I think it should be one, two, three. It should be in the top three. And, of course, he kind of laughed at me a little bit. And the horse got a really bad, bad performance. I just, you know, I had it for like a month. And he won. He paid $315. And, you know, a lot of people, they told me that, you know that I was a, a bad, bad friend because I didn't tell her about that horse. <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that's always. I mean, three hundred and fifteen dollars took a lot of money, but like I said, you know, I just don't bet. I just like to watch them if they win, they're wonderful, you know. But yeah, I know. It it it, it was. I had a horse one time, and uh, she wasn't very good. And finally, the owner's like, just run the horse. And we tried to run the horse from Maiden 25, race didn't fill. Tried to go from Maiden 40, race didn't fill. So we wound up in a Maiden special because we were at Churchill and it was in the fall. And, and, and rightfully, she said, listen, if the horse is no good, then I don't want to send a, spend the money to send the horse to Florida and we'll just figure it out. So, all right, no problem. So I run the horse. The horse was 20 to 1, had never really shown much in the morning. And, uh, I mean, people asked me, and I was like, nah, I don't you know. I mean, like I said, I was trying to run the horse for a quarter. I didn't really like the horse for a quarter. 
And, of course, the horse breaks dead last, is ten lengths behind the field. And, and it looked like Silky Sullivan on the turn circles the field, wins going away, right? 75 to 1. And the phone starts ringing, and everybody's cursing me. And they're like, you jerk, you know, you Lou, you knew. And I'm like, man, I didn't bet anything on this or something. I was, I was more in the dark than anybody. And, and uh, um, yeah, God, I mean, people were mad at me. And I was like, man. And, and, the, and the funny thing was the horse never picked up its feet again. That was the only race the horse ever ran any good. We ran it a couple more times, and it just did nothing. I mean, just literally did nothing like it it originally had trained. And I don't know what what got into the horse that day, um, or maybe just you know first time she was ever out there in competition, and she just kind of freaked. And but uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll never. You know, there's people I think still mad at me, but uh, I, I had no idea. I really did have no idea. But uh, <laughs> yeah. That happens many times, Chuck. We don't have no idea. Sometimes <laughs> make a liar out of yourself. Sometimes to horses. Yeah, that's that's so true. And and uh, I mean, there's been a lot of times where I really like my horse, and and uh, you know, the one thing that we we most trainers aren't great handicappers, <laughs> and uh, you know, you might know everything about your horse, and your horse might be doing great, and you think, man, this horse is really doing good, but. Like you said, somebody else's horse might just be a better horse. <laughs> so you didn't win not because your horse didn't run to its capability or run as as good as it trained. It just wasn't good enough. There was somebody in there better, and that that happens. Uh, that happens a lot. The higher up you get in, in the in the food chain, you get to the the top of the the, the line. Those uh, those races get harder and tougher. The the Saratogas you go and you run in a maiden race there. You might be running against five or six future stake horses. And you run in a maiden race at uh, Pimlico, and and you probably running against no future stake horses, and it's just uh, it's just the way it goes. But uh, it, it's still the mystery of the game is is still exists, and and it's it's a good thing. And, and with super trainers, they make it look easier. But you're just seeing their best horses that are in form at the current time, and and that's what's tougher for guys like you with 25 horses, in that you don't have five horses for each condition and you're not just going to run the one that's doing best at the current time you know you have your horses and you try to find their spots and uh uh it's it's not always easy and then, like you said sometimes when you're you're at a meet that doesn't have a, a full complement of days they're, they're going to use the races that fill the best because obviously that makes most sense financially and you may have a horse or two that are in races that don't get big fields so they don't use the race and you just wind up having sometimes to run them somewhere else or in a race that you don't really want to necessarily be in but by the same token you can't just train a horse for three months and never run them at all uh, well yeah that's a, that's the hard part uh chuck that's the hard part when the unfortunately you have a horse the race don't go they don't make the race so you can't go anywhere and Clients to start getting a little bit anxious because definitely, you know, they're paying a lot of money for maintenance and then they don't want to see this horse just sitting in the stall doing training in the morning and just sitting there for a month and a half, almost two months without not running. So you have to run it. And then, you know, the horse is training, wants to run, it wants to race. And, you know, unfortunately, you're going to have to run sometime where the condition is not in his favor and. And you're gonna have to settle whatever the horse can do in that particular race. So I had a horse named uh, um, Killer Bird, 
Uh, and she was at, I think she was at Monmouth. Was she at Monmouth? Yeah, I think. No, I don't know. Yeah, she was at Monmouth for as a two-year-old. I never did run her there, but um, she was by um, who was the horse? He won the Belmont uh, Bird something. Anyway, she was by a horse who was by was you know best at, at a mile and a half, and I won a stake with her going a mile one turn. She broke her maiden on the turf going two turns. She won an off the the turf race in the slop going seven ace. And to be honest, I really think that she would have been best going two turns on the dirt, and she never got to race in a two turn dirt race, which was. Which was so frustrating because by the time I was I was down in Florida, and she wasn't really good enough to ship in running stakes out of town. I mean, the stake she won was a listed stake, and and uh, it, it wasn't the world's greatest field. I mean, she ran a good race that day. She ran like an eighty buyer, that kind of you know that 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 range of horse. But after she won it, she had no more conditions, and they can rarely get two turn races on the dirt to go if it's not either a cheap cheap race or a stake race. And they had nothing in the fall for her because she wasn't a Florida bred. And then in the winter, it was all graded stake races. And I was like, oh, man, she's you know she has no chance in those races. And she wound up getting hurt, and, and we wound up selling her. And she she's uh, she was sold as a broodmare. So, um, But it was frustrating to me knowing, even now, thinking to myself, this is a horse that succeeded despite really never running at what I think would have been her best um, distance and best surface. She never got that chance, and and that that's frustrating. These days, when you have a, a, a horse that wants to go long on the dirt, the the opportunities are so few and far between. And, and if, if they're not a cheap horse or they're not a stake horse, it's hard to it's hard to find those races. Well, yes, it is. It is shocking. You know, you, you wind up trying but, on the turf because the turf is the only place you can really get a two turn race to go and. You know, he may, he, hey, listen, you might go in a turf race and get lucky enough to have it come off. And um, but uh, but even like Gulfstream now, they're backing up some of those turf races at a mile. They're running them uh, or a mile and sixteenth. Even they're running them at the one turn mile instead of the two turns. You know, which uh, Calder is really the only place down here that runs two turn dirt races very often. And no, it's it's kind of, it's different than when we were younger. I remember one of the most amazing feats that I ever remember about cigar. And you think about cigar, right? You think about all his wins and his breeders' cups and going all over. I think the most amazing race he ran, not his performance, but the fact that Gulfstream filled a four other than mile and a sixteenth allowance race. After he won the Naira Mile by like fifteen lengths, <laughs> and, and and no one scratched, no one scratched in the race, and, and it was like an eight horse field. I go, could you imagine these days if if uh, uh, a horse uh, won a, won the Naira Mile by ten lengths and came back in, in an allowance race? I mean, number one, it would nobody would enter it. Number two, if if they did enter it, they saw him in the race, everybody would scratch. But it, it was it was an, it was the second start of his his winning streak was an allowance race of four other than, and that's a race that's like just uh, has has gone away. And, and we even saw uh, I, I was reading somebody had written a, um, an article with some stats that are a little bit uh, older. But the first year I trained in 1999, there was 458 allowance races 
written for two-year-olds in, in the country, 1999. By 2015, there was 48. <laughs> you know, it just, That's a big difference. It, it's, it's like they were almost eliminated. And, and it used to be you, won, you broke your maiden and you ran in an allowance race. Unless you were like, you know, a, a big dollar, high dollar horse that breaks his maiden by 10, then of course you're going to start looking for stake races. But, you know, even if you broke your maiden in a maiden 50, you'd look for kind of a, a winner's race. But, you know, if you didn't think your horse is good enough to run in the maiden special, then what would make you think he would run good enough in a stake? But, uh, you know, it's just, it's just the way the world, how things have changed. And, I mean, think about it. I used to be skinny, used to be a jockey, and uh, here we are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we are. Yeah, like I said, you know, I, I'm, I'm very happy. I can't complain. I had my really good one at 46, 45 years old, and, you know, there are trainer who looks for the that great one or, or greatest stake horse or stake horse for many years, and then it's hard for, them, it's hard for some of them to find one. And I find one, and then I got a few more clients. I got... Mr. Generosity gave me a job, and he sent me some horses, and he sent me some more horses now, and, uh, you know, I, you know, and like I said, you know, the shares have been a little bit weird, but, you know, I, I had a good summer at Mountain Park, and I remember I, I just, I just picked up a picture yesterday from Mountain Park that they made. It's uh, a picture where I had three wins in one day. Mm-hmm. So I won the stake, and I won two more races. I won three races in one day. And I remember that I think one or two or three years, uh, I won three races in one year. Right, exactly. I mean, Chuck, I won three races in one year. And I have friends, Some some of my friends, they 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 told me like they didn't think I was gonna last that long, but I I I, I mean I like horses. I mean I love horses, but uh, it was tough. And so now having Imperial Hand when I was retired and and having new clients now to give me more opportunities. So and kind of when I look back, it's you know I I'm glad that I stayed on and. And even now that it's crucial times and tracks, we're losing tracks and we're losing horses and stuff like that. But I can't complain. Right now I can't complain. It's just a different kind of business now than back in the days. But I'm not complaining right now. No, listen, Louis, I remember remember back in the days before before either of us were training horses on our own. And and you've come a long ways and... uh, I'm really, really proud of, of the job you've done, and, and I really was so happy to see the little rocket win as many races as you did, and uh, and it sounds like things are, are, are really looking up for you, and, and hopefully this winter you can uh, come down here and have a, have a couple winners over at Tampa, get some winners at Gulfstream, and, and maybe buy me lunch one or, once or twice. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Simon, thank you. I mean, I, I mean really, I always I always look up to you sometimes when uh, you used to have a lot of those horses winning in Saratoga, and uh, I always look forward to when I used to go to Gulfstream Park with my, uh, I used to work for Bob Dulce, I was Gallup, and assistant trainer, and 
and you were winning races, and we used to go in the boat. That's right. We got to get we got to get we got to get Fathead Orlando out of New York this winter and get him down to Florida. Yeah, Orlando, and I forgot who's the other kid, and one of the kids jumped off the boat when it was running. <laughs> when the guy almost drowned. <laughs> that was almost a bad dark day. I remember that. I was like, where is he? Oh, does, who, who knows how to swim good enough to go get him out of there? <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to go back to Palmetto with some of my horses and uh I, I got a, a you know couple two year olds and um, you know you always hope that's your hope when you have a two year old you think it could be okay you're looking forward to see what you can do and that's what I'm, I'm that's what I'm looking forward now that's why I want to go to Florida and see how this uh, newcomers are going to do for me. That uh, that's all we can do. We can just look ahead and believe me. Palm Meadows and South Florida are a whole lot nicer in January and February than parks. I've been to both places, and believe me, it's way better down <laughs> <Yeah>. here. <laughs> yeah. All right, Louis. Hundred percent right. Thank. Good luck today. We're we're gonna we're rooting for you. Thank you. I need all the luck I can get. And uh, listen, uh, Mr. Simon, Chuck Simon, it was a pleasure talking to you. You're doing a great job there, and uh, I look forward to see you and. Uh, this winter over there. Sounds good. Thanks, Louis. Appreciate that. All right. All right, everyone. That was Louis Carvajal, who's who's not only a a good trainer, who's kind of starting to show what he can do, getting horses that can that can run. Not part of being a trainer is that getting uh, horses that can win. Sometimes you train horses and they just aren't any good, and it doesn't matter what you do with those type of horses because. They're just not any good, and uh, it would be like trying to get learn teach me how to pitch against major league baseball hitters. It doesn't matter if you got the greatest trainer in the world. If you gave me all the steroids in the world, it, it wouldn't matter. I just don't have the ability. And sometimes you get saddled with horses like that same that same thing. That they, they just it doesn't matter how you train them. If you train them slow, if you train them fast, if you train them on the dirt, if you train them on the turf, they're just no good. But Louis is also one of the nicest people you're ever going to meet. He's, he's, a, he's a guy that uh, it's really easy to root for. And we have another guy that's really easy to root for. I've been rooting for him for a long time as well. My friend Carlos Martin. Carlos, how are you? Hey, Chuck. Nice to talk to you, buddy. Long time. Yes, sir. Well, you got a Breeders' Cup horse this year. Again, how's it looking? What's, how, how's, how's come dancing training? She looks great. She's doing super. Hopefully, we'll put on a good show. It's her probably her last dance. And last year, everybody was so disappointed. You know, it was an unusual situation. You know, having to fly out there. You know, from the east and kind of went five, six days before the race, like a lot of other people did, flying a little bit late into the show. And who knows? I knew Asmussen was there about a month before, but there were other big, uh, big horses that showed up when we did on the same plane. They did fine. So you hate to make excuses when things don't go right. Just wasn't our day, but a couple of weeks, like a week later after that, when she went to Lane's End, where we were thinking about retiring her, she looked like she caught a little low-grade virus, and she was, you know, back and forth with a fever for about a week. So, you know, she didn't show the signs that we could see, but the way she ran, I mean, I, I can accept defeat. We all can, but she was so brilliant all the Leo last year. For her to finish sixth and, and only beat two horses, I think there was a little something more at play, but that's ancient history. We're coming into this race, you know, a little fresher. We didn't run in the Gallup Loop this year. We decided to wait and get her get her cranked up for her like i said hopefully her swan song will be a great race and going to keeneland she just getting to keeneland in about an hour from now so she'll be there 
with plenty of time, maybe get a little breeze over the track, and hopefully we'll get better results this year. Yeah, no, no doubt. Uh, are you there? Can you, can you still? Uh, you kind of broke up there a second. Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, no problem. Yeah, you know, you never know. Sometimes I, I, you tell people that you, you can scope a horse before, you can draw their blood, and everything looks fine. And then, like you said, you race them, the stress of the race brings out whatever is deep inside, and next day they're sick. And no one feels worse than the trainer because you, you say to yourself, what did I miss? Did I hear a cough? You know, and it's, the, you know, how could how could this have happened? But it's just, it's part, it's fact of life, unfortunately. They're, they're living, living animals, exactly. and they live outside, and, uh, you know, they don't tell us things we have to try to figure it out and uh you know hope like you said hopefully this year uh not having to go all the way out to california staying uh in the midwest and uh, the temperature change sure won't be be as, as drastic as it would be and uh there certainly seems to be a lot of speed in this race the, the breeders cup uh, philly sprint but take each other out a little bit i mean it's probably brilliant enough that she can maybe sit a little bit, but if she draws, depending on what she draws in Serengeti, they both go out there. Hopefully, um, nobody's going to let anybody get away, so I'm hoping they go over there in 44 and change. Or I mean, Serengeti, when she ran against us in the ballerina, I think she went 43-3. and three. Right. The 7-8 should help us. So, yeah, I'm optimistic. we got a great jockey. Uh, not that Javier isn't a great jockey. He's ridden her for a lot lately, but Irad did a great job in the Honorable Miss, and he's uh, undoubtedly one of the top riders. A lot of people think the top rider right now in the sport, so I'm not going to be disappointed having I ride in the bike, and hopefully we get a little lucky. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's half the battle sometimes in those type of races. Is where do where do people draw? How do you break? Does the speed duel, uh, you know, the anticipated speed duel actually happen? Does, um, you know, if, if Gamine draws inside of Serengeti, she, she's probably not going to want to follow her, so. Uh, is she going to let her clear? Or is she going to run out of there? Who you know? There's there's a lot of other you know. Venetian Harbor's got speed too. She's not going to be too yeah, far no, she's away. Not slow either. Yeah. Right. So it's not, yeah. it's not as though they're going to you know draw off five lengths and there there'll be horses right right in behind them. So that that helps. And certainly, hopefully, you, you get a clean trip and and just get a fair chance uh, at the at the quarter pole and kind of see what happens. Yeah, I'm hoping that the versatility she has, where she can sit a little bit. And stalk like she did in the honorable miss, and like she did in the ballerina. Hopefully, in this situation, will really, really be a benefit that she doesn't have to. You know, like Serengeti, as great as she is, Tom Amos will be the first to tell you. It seems like she's, you know, her style is she's going to go. That she's got no. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't have any she's second. Gonna, yeah. She's going to come out. She's going to make the lead. They're going to try to make the lead no matter what. So, you know, that's that's their style, which is fine. And hopefully, we can get a good trip and make a big run at it. Yeah, that's uh, it's nice to get fillies, and or it's honestly, it's nice to get horses. Period. That that uh, that can get to that level and and, and be competitive and, and have a an actual shot at, at winning a race, and uh, we'll certainly be rooting for you. Um, Thank you. How big is your barn right now, Carlos? We uh, have about twenty five horses right now. We have about nine or ten babies. Uh, it's been a little slow, as you know. What can happen with the two year olds? Either you wait, or they're going to make you wait. So it's just been. One of those years, we have a few uh, babies that look like they could be okay. We have a big tornless cold. We have a nice guy, Mesa Philly, from Mr. and Mrs. Pavlis. That's a half to a grade one uh, winner on the grass of the secretariat that Tom Morley trained, Carrick. She seems like a nice filly. We have a big old Shackleford colt that my sister uh, got into the game a little bit. My Uncle Greg picked out in Ocala that seems like he could be a nice horse. And uh, we have a few other babies that seem like they're coming around. It's just You know how it is. You just have to just... Let them tell you there's no – sometimes you get these new owners, and I love them. They're enthusiastic and like, when we're going to race, when are we going to – I said, listen, if I knew that, 
I said, this, this is a day-to-day, hour-by-hour, you know, to try to do the right thing by the horses. You know, I, I know certain barns are fortunate enough to have a, a big, big stable, and they can have the same schedule on every horse, and that's great, and they can replace them. We, we try to keep those eight or ten babies. Those are going to be the cornerstone for the next couple of years. So you kind of approach things a little differently, I think, maybe a little too conservative at times, but that's just the way, you know, that I was brought up with in the same old school like you when growing up with the Chief. And, you know, when they have a little issue, if you push them and you train them when they're sore, they get that in their mind, and, you know, you have to do the right thing. Unfortunately, there's a lot of stopping going with young horses, and if you want action and claimers, that's one thing, but if you want to develop a good horse, patience is the only way to do it, and we both know that. So that could be a little frustrating at times this year. Only started, I think, one or two babies, and it is what it is. Hopefully, you know, all the hard work and the time and, and waiting on them, you get something that can really that can really show, show, show great things later on. Yeah, that's it's so true when you're talking about new owners, too, is that you appreciate their enthusiasm and, and the, you get into the game and, and you're pumped up and you just have to temper their enthusiasm sometimes in the, to not rush things and not to, uh, keep in mind, and this is what I tell people all the time, keep in mind when you see Todd Pletcher and Chad Brown and, and uh, uh, these, other, these guys with these huge outfits, you're only seeing the horses that they have that are at their best that they have a, a whole roster full in that same exact class, and they're only running the ones that are doing well at that time. And it seems like they're, they're running a lot, which they are, of course, but don't forget that they might have 42-year-old fillies or you know, 52-year-old fillies, uh, dirt fillies. And, and, you know, like, so you're seeing the, the, the two or three that are ready to run, and yes, they have one in next week and they have one in next week, but like, right. when you own two horses, well, <laughs> you know, you got to remember that, uh, that that there's a lot of horses that those guys train that you're not seeing either because they're not ready to run, and, and they're giving them the time because they, they have the the luxury of having so many other horses. And I think... I, I said it so many times. I said, you know, I made some really, I made some predictions that that have kind of turned out right in this business, and it's I'm kind of sad in some ways because some of them have, have not been really beneficial. But there's one thing I never saw coming, Carlos. I never saw the billionaires teaming up. I never could I, I, that that never. I never believed that that would happen. I always thought that a guy that uh, or, or a lady that had that kind of money. Would be like, well, why do I want to partner and share the glory and share the uh, the responsibility and the, the picking the races out and the leading the horse in? And I never saw that coming, and, and that's something that's happened. That's uh, I, I admit, I, I never thought that we would see billionaires, and and it's not just teaming up. Sometimes there's three or four of them that own a, own a horse. And it's, yeah, no, you're right. No, that's happened a lot lately, uh, and it happens, you know. A lot more than you're right. That's one of those things that is definitely kind of an unusual phenomenon. <laughs> I mean, I just never, you know, you remember back when we were kids in the '80s and the '90s, and and yeah, the, you know, society was a little different, life was a little different, and life in racing certainly was different. But you saw individuals. The Phipps family owned horses. The um, Rokeby stables. You had these big old money. Uh, owners, but you also had standalone guys that would come in. Uh, Donald Disney got into business, and he, he was, you know, he, he owned horses on his own, and um, you know, it just uh, like Mr. Ramsey. I'm, I'm, for all the things Mr. Ramsey does, he doesn't go partners on any, uh, with anyone because he knows that he can't do it. <laughs> he he like physically can't right, be partners right, right. because he's got to be in charge, and he's smart enough to realize that, and, and he's never really tried to be partners with with anybody, and. Uh, 
you know, Mr. Ramsey's thing was he was going to live or die based upon his decisions, and he was going to live with it. And, and I'll give him credit for that because he's the, he did tremendously. Um, oh yeah, no, no doubt. Doing that and without partnering up and, and, and teaming up, but that is one thing. And, and to me, that is one of the tough things for trainers. Um, like you guys, uh, like Louis Carvajal was on before, and he, he's got 25 horses like you do as well. And h- how it's just a little bit discouraging when your owners may be wealthy people, but you're you're talking about dealing with people who have seemingly unlimited amounts of money, and, and then they team up, and it's just like, wow. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to be discouraging here, but it's yeah. just... Uh, no, I know what you're saying. It's one of the reasons why I stopped. I, find, I just said I need a break. I just can't do it anymore and I, i'll be telling you what, another reason i lost owners to the fractional partnerships i had guys that would buy two or three horses or they would go partners with a friend of theirs and buy two or three horses a year yearlings usually we'd buy and they'd be buying in the 20 to, to 30 to forty thousand dollar range and some of them got out and they bought into um partnership deals where their expenses are less and yes, they don't get a, a say in anything, but uh, and, and some of them got out completely, uh, and yeah. some of them didn't like that. And uh, they're not for everyone, clearly. And certainly, the partnership, uh, you know, the, the West Points and such, those are different than what we're talking about with the billionaires. But um, yeah, I lost owners to to those type of things because those guys said to themselves, "Hey, I really want to run a horse in the Breeders' Cup, or really want to get a horse in the Derby." And my chances of doing that, spending the money I'm spending, are, are, are really long. And I have a better chance of, of latching onto it even at a smaller percentage. And, and I get that. I understand that. And I, I just, uh, it, it's it's one of the negatives of partnerships because you hear a lot of people talking about the positive partnerships. But it's one of the negatives of partnerships that, um, and that they feed the big barns as well, is that the big barns are already strong. And then they get, um, more horses, and then, then they're getting the fractional kind of owners, and and hell, now they're getting the the people to put two hundred bucks up, <laughs> and 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 um, and I know you've spoken out about this before. It, you know these guys, and today of course is a is a day where Mister Baffert's got positive number three in like the last two months, and at some point it just becomes so frustrating for so many of us in the business that there's never any. Uh, seeming, they're never penalized for for issues, and I don't know. It's it's it's, it's tough for me to, uh, like I said earlier, I really don't have a, a, an answer. I don't. I can't say. Well, this is absolutely what we should do, and this will fix this problem. I don't know exactly, but yeah, no, you're right. It's a difficult situation. It's a difficult problem. You're here in New York, and we've been here a long time. We've had some success and come from a racing family, but. You're, charging, you're trying to charge 100, 110 a day to survive, and then the new owner or the new billionaire or whatever, they look up in the stats, so who are the top two or three trainers in the country? Well, you've got three of them, four or five, six here in New York that control 300 horses each, and they're going to charge the same as Carlos Martin or Louis Carbajal, and they'll just say, well, we'll just be part of number 302. So, you know, a lot of uneducated people, you know, they don't know that the hands-on approach is also a good one, and but they're looking at the top uh uh, trainers and they're saying, well, you know, if you're knocking them, you sound like an idiot because you're knocking Coca-Cola. Like my dad used to always get around and say, right. you know, these guys win all the big races. But you're right. It could be a vicious cycle. And in New York, to try to keep up and try to pay the workmen's comp and the Department of Labor and everything that goes with it, 
especially where I'm at, it, it, it could be definitely challenging at times, especially to try to bring new people in when they see the same trainers that are two barns away from you just dominating and winning all the big races. And back in the day when my grandfather was leading trainer for many years in New York, there used to be the limit where he'd have 44 and he'd help his friends and he'd help the chief or Gary Gullo or recommend even Horatio Laura when he first came to this country. You know, had nothing. My grandfather gave him a hand and stuff. So there was a little bit, you're right, different times. You know, the free market enterprise is great. But for our business, it definitely does, like you wrote articles before, which I read because I know you have a lot of knowledge. Besides, as a horseman, I always respected you and you grew up the hard way and worked from the bottom up. But you also have a different perspective, you know, from everything you've seen as far as the business side of it, which I've read the articles. And, and you're right, the free enterprise system is great, but for the smaller 20 or 20 uh, horse outfits, especially in New York and places like that, with all the laws and everything, you know, the, the, the guys can't keep up. They can't afford to stay in. They're just killing that dynamic of the sport and you know the joke of it is five or ten years from now we'll be might be having an interview and i'll be sitting next to you saying well we said there will be 10 <laughs> trainers with 500 horses and they're running against themselves in the seventh field i mean it, it's definitely is something that concerns me uh this is the only thing i love to do and you know unfortunately it, it's definitely not an easy game especially to be in the best circuits in the world like new york or these places to keep up and keep charging what you have to charge, and you get how things can be frustrating for the smaller owners. They don't have those horses and dealing in those big purses. So when they're paying you three, four thousand dollars a month, they're like, uh, they, you know, they get the feeling where if you're not successful right away, they want to go to a smaller circuit or become, like you said, a a two percent or a three percent or with a big outfit. So it's definitely a revolving door that uh, sometimes you, a lot of people have had to come out that door because they can't keep the pace. You know, what you said about the 44 stalls is something that uh, is so true. When I worked uh, for the chief at Belmont, the chief was not the most organized person in the world. And occasionally, like, he would would forget to tell us, like, we had horses coming. So, you know, we'd just get the advantage show up and, you know, from Mrs. DuPont's farm, and there'd be three more horses there. And we were already at our limit. And Rick Wickman would come and he'd find me and he would, Chuck, you guys are over your limit. Oh, I said, Rick. Look on that door right over there. It says Alan Jerkins. Talk to him. <laughs> Don't yell at me, you know. <laughs> and, and I would say, and he'd be like, "Well, just give him the message." I said, "Nah, he yells at me for enough. I'm not getting yelled at for your job." And and I would right. say something to him like, "You know, we're over our limit." And he'd be like, "I've filled more races from in New York than any trainer in the history of New York." And I said, "I understand that, but tell tell it to right. them." Right. Even even but even the chief was conscientious. Like like he would be over a limit. Maybe he'd have maybe fifty or forty or whatever. But these guys. They like have two hundred, and they'll take a five claimer from the poor guy that's down the street <laughs> that's... with two horses. Yeah, send that five claimer right in, or that ten claimer. I mean, there's got to be some kind of saturation point at some point, um, or else I don't think the business can survive. You know, like I said, having ten people control all the horses, especially in New York, as you know. Well, I mean, Carlos, it wasn't. I, I was talking to someone the other day, and I said this earlier in the show that it wasn't that long ago that New York ran six days a week year round. Including Aqueduct on the inner track, they ran six days a week. There was only one dark day a week, and this is not like 1950. This was like like 2000, and it's it's we're down to three days maybe. You know, in the next March, I know they're cutting to three. I'm not really sure why they do it in March. It seems like it would be better in February, but I'm, I'm sure there's some reason for it. But um, you know, we're, we're, you're down to four races, four racing days, and then like I said, March will be three. And uh, Mammoth is is at three, and um, the the racing opportunities, and this was something that Louie and I talked about, 
was when you're one of the reasons I left Monmouth, and I loved being at Monmouth. I really do. I, I thought it, it was a really nice track. My horses fit well there. But I just couldn't do it anymore because I, I just had my owners on my ass all the time because when you, and the year I left was 2014, and we were racing two days a week. And yeah, no, that's impossible. If the race is, yeah. is, for, is, is carded for Sunday and it doesn't fill, well, then they bring it back. Well, you got six days again until that race might go. And if it doesn't fill that weekend, then you're talking you're like two weeks. And the owners just, you know, especially being in, a, in that area up in the Northeast where there's so many other tracks where, that are a short ship to, you, you know, I, I was never a guy that wanted to ship much. I, I'd rather run where I'm stabled at, where I know the horses, where it's easy to walk over, and, and it, it, it's certainly more cost-effective. And especially if you're in New York, you're running for more money. But you, you just can't not run, and, and that's that's part of the problem as well. And, oh, yeah. And that when you cut down racing opportunities, uh, they're still going to use the top stake races. They're still going to use the cheapest races that fill well. It's those middle ground races. It's the the twenty five claimers, the open twenty five claimers, and and the uh, um, you know the New York bred two other ends on the dirt that, that all of a sudden don't go anymore. And like, what do you do? You're kind of stuck with a horse. And no, it's definitely it's something that you have to address. It's not easy, no, no doubt. That that that's one of the things that, that uh, I, I think sometimes horsemen in general get a rap these days is oh they don't want to run their horses and this, sometimes it's not just we don't want to run the horses it's that we just don't want to run the horses in the wrong spot all the time right right you, you go over 50 over 60 over 20 2 for 30 they're like 2 for 40 this guy oh, he forgot how to train and like you said sometimes you get into those vicious cycles where you know you, the clients think they know more than you do sometimes and you're running horses that are overmatched just to keep them happy and then you don't want to keep your you know, nowadays if you're not 30% uh, you're, 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 you don't know what you're doing. So it, it's, it, it is definitely tricky compared to the way things used to be back in the day. Where the stats are a great thing, you know, to build business, but they can also, a good trainer can just, you know, because of circumstances, and, you know, they can also make you look bad quickly. You know, I wish there was, there's been really a statistical revolution in, in sports, in, in baseball. We don't call the guy with the highest batting average the batting champion anymore because people have realized that a guy who hits 330 but hits mostly singles is not as valuable as the guy who hits 300 and hits 40 home runs. So like everything is in context and racing. We still use kind of just these raw win percentage stats, which, which can be very misleading because I've, I've said a million times, if you, if you had a 10 claimer and I had a 50 claimer and we raced them against each other, and my horse beat you by a nose. Well, you probably did a much better job raising your horse's level than I did. But in the stats, it's going to, it's going to say, Chuck won, Carlos lost, and it, it's not going to reflect the actual job that you did. And, and I think that's another thing that's frustrating is when you take uh, $30,000, $40,000 babies and you do well with them. You win maiden special weights with them. That, that's an accomplishment. And when you win with three dollars $400,000 ones, well, that you're supposed to. Those are the best bred, the best conformed horses. They, they should be winning those races in, in a lot of ways. All right. No, you make good points. Excellent points. But uh, you haven't. Did you bring anything else to Kentucky with you, or just the the? Figure? I wish. I wish I had a couple of those, uh, like some of these big guys that have eight, nine, ten, twelve to run in these kind of races. I'm excited to have come dancing back, and I think she'll be. Uh, she'll keep me entertained. She's uh, been something special for us since day one, and you know, a million two, grade one, ruffian, gallant bloom, distaff, ballerina. She's been a great horse for us. So I'm just excited about hopefully 
uh, giving her an opportunity to show how great she is in the biggest stage. And like I said, I'll have plenty of uh, those 10 days. I'm sure I won't I won't get too bored with her. She's uh, been like a godsend for our stable, and we love her. Oh, she's got a great resume. Is she in a sale, or, or is or the? Do you have any? What are the plans for her um, post racing? I think Mark really wants to keep his broodmare band and get it a little stronger. He's had a nice little group of mares that he sold a lot commercially and had some success with the last bunch of years that I've had him with David and Gordon on Lane's end. They've done a great job for us. Mm-hmm. But I think, uh, you know, as, as valuable as she is, and it'll be great to take some big money off the table, I really think he's going to keep her right now. It looks like that's the plan. He's talking about stallions like Quality Road and stuff like that. So I think he's, uh, he's happy to make her a mom and hopefully have some come dancing babies down the road. Yeah, that, that'll be great. That'll be really great. Well, Carlos, appreciate appreciate your time, and uh, we certainly will be rooting for you. And uh, all the, all the best getting down to Kentucky, and uh, don't don't eat too much while you're there. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it was great talking to you, Chuck. It was always a pleasure. Likewise, thank you, Carlos. That was Carlos Martin heading to the Breeders' Cup with Come Dancing, the Breeders' Cup Philly Sprint Seven A. She's going to be kind of a a little bit of a longer price, but she might be she might be able to sneak in and make a make a run. Hopefully, she gets a clear trip. I mean, she's got uh, Irad Ortiz, who who certainly is uh, is a is a top is as good as it gets in those type of races. He's not going to panic and hopefully gets a good trip and gets some pace to run into. And it certainly would be nice to see Carlos in the winner's circle as opposed to uh, one of the uh, one of the other guys who who win all the races all the time and we're sick of seeing them that's just the way it is but um today's show actually is, is uh only going to be 90 minutes and uh that's why we we didn't have an, a, a third guest and um i know carlos had uh, was was pressed for time but uh, i really i really want to uh really really reiterate what i said in the beginning of the show and that I'm I'm just fatigued about talking about Bob Baffert and medication positives. And these are all low level positives. These are not um these are not class ones. These are not the big ones. These are not uh secret uh formulas. These these are I mean this last one uh, I was only able to read up a little bit before we came on the air and uh, and apparently the excuse is that Groom had COVID and got cough medicine, and this is, you know, which is, I guess, plausible. But imagine the NBA if LeBron James got suspended three times a year and then actually had the union come to his defense and then never actually served the time. People would go nuts. And... There's really no, there's nothing like it in other sports in that if you get busted in the NFL, you you do the days. And I just, um, it's just frustrating to, to me because I trained for a long time and I had horses for the most part, the last five, six years, seven, eight years I trained, they weren't very good. And I got the horses that had decent pedigrees that had bad confirmation. And confirmation is, is one of the issues that really causes unsoundness more than more than anything. It's it's just a 
it's just the the physics of of the way the horse strikes the ground the more ill conformed the the worse the concussion is on certain joints and we needed to do that uh, work on a lot of our horses because of the way they were built, and and the ones that didn't have talent, they they just they never got a whole lot of vet work because they just weren't good enough to to mess with, and, and we found them homes, we found them good homes. The um, the thing is, that I didn't get any positives, and part of that is just because we were careful. And we didn't take chances. And I got a butte positive at Gulfstream that was extremely low level. It was a fine. And I got a ace promazine positive, which is a tranquilizer, um, in like 2001. And, I, I mean, I, I think I had, I don't know, 2,500 starts, 2,800 starts, three, something like that, 3,000 starts over 20 years. And I think that because of, of our management, we were able to not have positives because we did not want them. It was embarrassing when I got that first positive and we had to give, that was actually an ACE promising positive that we still aren't sure how that got into the horse's system. And I mean, ACE, ACE promising is a tranquilizer and the horse won by nine lengths and certainly didn't, tranquilize the horse and the, and the level was very very low and this was at a time in kentucky when you could give literally like 17 different shots within 24 hours of a, of a race and to this day we don't really know how that got in the horse's system but but i i really was embarrassed by that and, and i never wanted it to happen again and it the sad thing is that um that no one ever asked me about that people asked me to take horses no one ever said what's your record in regards to positive tests what's your record in regards to breakdown and those are two things that we were really good at we didn't have horses breakdown i have a horse breakdown in a race for 18 years and we didn't get positives but that didn't matter that didn't matter as much as winning winning percentage if you won 16 17 percent wasn't good enough they gate they went to the guys that won 28 percent that broke horses down all the time, that that um, got positives all the time. And, you know, some of it's lip service. We hear a lot of a lot of hand-wringing when these things happen, and, and most of it comes from the people who aren't in the sport because the people in the sport are afraid. There are a lot of them are afraid to say anything. And they're afraid of repercussions, and that's that, that sucks because we should have people speaking out against issues like this and and we can't have if baseball if mike trout got got suspended three times a year for transgressions and and, and doing things even if they were relatively minor if he was using a a, a corked bat or or a, you know something of that nature that would be a big scandal that would be a, there, there would be penalized he, he would lose sponsorships he would lose money it would cost him money he wouldn't get paid for those games but in this business we don't punish the trainers or the jockeys, the jockeys that, that habitually put other jockeys in bad positions. They just, and, and yes, 
we have to, this is America and we have rights and there is a, a due process system for sure. Certainly that exists. But when you just get these, these things appealed and appealed and appealed and appealed and appealed and the state's commissions kind of run out of uh, steam in trying to enforce these rules, it gets, uh, it, it gets to be, from the view of many other people, it, it just is frustrating because we know that uh, we wouldn't be treated similarly and Again, Bob Baffert hasn't been convicted of giving horses true performance-enhancing drugs. He's been accused of it, but he these are not those. These are minor violations, but there's just too many of them. There's just too many of them, and the owners aren't going to take the horses away. And it just is a problem that exists, and, and I'm sure at this point he, he himself is, is embarrassed about it. I mean, he, he, how can you not be? How can you not be? But but this is not a new thing, and uh, and this is a uh, you know this hurts everyone. This hurts the sport because we're going to get another Joe Drape article. We're going to get more headlines, and headlines for these type of of transgressions are it's it's unfortunate and it, it's 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 poor timing and. And like I said before, I don't have a, I don't have a, there's no easy answer to this. But um, and, and I, as I said on Steve's show yesterday, the system is no good. It's a bad system. It's a system where the the laboratories are in competition with each other, and they want to use the number of positive tests they call is a marketing tool. It, it's just a, it, it's not a great system, and um. I've fallen victim to it, and uh, Graham Motion has fallen victim to it. Many other trainers have fallen victim to it where we followed the rules and we still got in trouble. And, and that's that, to me, is, is really against, um, I want to talk you all patriotic, but that, that's against the, the American ideal is that to, to follow the rules, to follow the laws, and still be accused of doing something wrong is, is just on, on, it's not only unfair, but it, it's, uh, it, it's just, uh, it's just wrong. And, and it's a system that, that was set up again. I said earlier, it was set up a long time ago when the testing and the medications were far, far different than they are now. And it needs to be modernized and it needs to be fixed. And this federal racing act is not, is not, addressing some of the major issues that still exist. And that's that's going to be a a big problem when you federalize these things and we're going from from state government to federal government and and you're just you're you're just making everything worse. That that's I don't know. Just seems to me that we could do better as opposed to harsher, stronger, or just better. And uh, I, for one, I'm, I'm, I'm sick of talking about it, and I'm sick of, uh, I'm sick of calling the, the system out. I'm sick of calling Bob Baffert out. And I'm sure he doesn't care what I say, but 
Um, uh, I'm speaking for a lot of other people, a lot of people that, that don't feel comfortable speaking out and saying that this has to stop and it has to stop. He's got to go a long time without getting positive tests, whether, whether his horses just are treated differently. Well, that's just the way it is. I mean, you know, the state by state system is not a great system. The federal system that's being proposed is not a great system. It could be just so much better, and I just wish that they would ask ask people for some practical knowledge, uh, some working knowledge, some, some that have been through the issues that that know. And uh, I think that we're going to get boards and we're going to get panels that they've set up, so there's no you know quote unquote uh, inside business. But by the same token, you're taking people that don't know, which is similar to how the Ridiculous rules that are being set up for the whips. Uh, the New Jersey rule is worse than the California rule. It's worse. We haven't even got to that point yet. And it's kind of going to be off in the future because there is no thoroughbred racing in New Jersey and until the springtime. But, I mean, there it's it's their rule is worse than California's. And California's is, is, is it's affecting the handle. It, it certainly is. I mean, I know way too many guys that have just given up on, on California or cut way down or, or like, like Barry, Barry just is playing in the tournaments where you, there's, there's no real live handle. And, and it's, uh, it's unfortunate, but uh, the business is in a very difficult spot right now. And I've gone over the 90 minute mark, but you know, it's my show and I do what I want. <laughs> but, um, we have to be smarter, and uh, I, I just don't know that. I just don't know how to get everyone on board with fixing things. It's it's hard enough to get people to admit that there's issues, and and that's that's going to be a problem. And I, I've heard whispers about something else coming down, and I know that's been a rumor, but I've heard from from people that that are stronger than just the, the normal racing whispers that something is going to come down and there's going to be other people that that are, are going to be be implicated and and i just want the owners to know that if it's your trainer don't say you didn't know don't say you didn't know because most people who are Smart enough to make enough money to be heavily invested in thoroughbred racehorses are smart enough to know when things are not uh, not exactly what they seem. But uh, you know, we'll see what we'll, we'll just see what happens, and hopefully the Breeders' Cup goes off without any injuries like we had last year. Hopefully we, we don't lose any more horses. The Distaff itself has been has been uh, has lost a couple of really major players, which is which is too bad. Uh, since they all seem to kind of be avoiding him outside of Vexatious, who kind of took all comers. Now she's not going to make it, but the other big contenders all seem to have been avoiding each other. And um, I don't see how Swiss Skydiver doesn't go into distaff at this point. It just doesn't seem, it, it would seem to be a, a much uh, more prudent spot, though I was wrong about the Preakness, but uh, uh, the, the, the distaff is just, uh, essentially it's, it's, Beat Monomoy Goro, and it's a wide open race. So, I mean, uh, the old saying is never be afraid of one horse. 
And uh, that's kind of a, right now you're looking at a prohibitive favorite in Monomoy Girl in that race. Even if Swiss Guy Diver goes, Jackie's Warrior looks like a prohibitive favorite. Uh, and I, I don't see any other races where there's a real big stick out choice. Uh, and uh, it should be it should be a really good uh, couple of days of racing. I just hope that, uh, like I said, I hope that we. We go get through unscathed. I hope the the Baffert bashing isn't uh, too bad, and uh, and I hope there's no positives coming out of this Breeders' Cup. I hope everybody's smart enough to say, "Hey, we don't want to be the guy that gets disqualified out of a Breeders' Cup race." And uh, Steve had Richard Migliori on yesterday, and Richard was talking about his first ride in the Breeders' Cup, where he finished third in, in the 1985 Aqueduct Breeders' Cup. And yes, they did have a Breeders' Cup at Aqueduct. Is Though that seems far-fetched, it actually did happen. And he ran third in a race. The horse who ran fourth was a horse named Lashkari, who was owned by the Aga Khan. And Lashkari actually is infamous for testing positive. He tested positive the year prior at Hollywood Park in the inaugural Breeders' Cup uh, in a post-race test. And there was all kinds of lawsuits. And it was a long time ago, and I don't remember exactly how it all worked out. But... uh, or it might, might even been the Breeders' Cup at, at Aqueduct where he tested positive. I, I don't even remember, but he did test positive in a race. So it, it's not, uh, it's happened before. Todd Pletcher had a horse test positive for procaine penicillin, which was a similar situation than Baffert was describing for his horse, um, for, for Gamine's Last, where they had given it uh, the procaine penicillin, which is actually a, a, I mean, a, an antibiotic. The procaine is given in the antibiotic because of to the reaction site when you give the injection. The procaine is used for that, so that there's not a reaction, not for the actual procaine itself. But um, they had given it well outside of the um, suggested uh, withdrawal time, and, and and it still came back positive. And I know there was a lawsuit again, and those things they they wound up in court and. Sometimes it's hard to remember exactly how it all works out because it just drags on and on and on. But uh, but hopefully we, we can get through and, and not have any more of those. But, uh, but next week's show, we will definitely be talking about the Breeders' Cup, and, and we will have the fields at that point, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll get more into it. And we'll get some people on the ground. We might try to get Marty McGee and... Kind of find out as much information as we can. It's uh, it's really the last big, big racing event of the year. We still have the the Naira Mile weekend. We have the the Clark weekend at Churchill, and uh, um, and uh, I guess Santa Anita's gonna, you know, the the Santa Anita kickoff to their winter meet. I I, I thought I read where it's gonna be on. They're opening up on January on, on uh, December twenty third, which is odd. They always open up the day after Christmas, but everything's changing. So we'll go from there. Anyways, thank you for for listening, and thank you for Mister Carbajal, Louis Carbajal, for coming on. Hopefully, uh, hopefully he won. I don't, I don't know. I think his horse is it's probably running pretty close to now. Uh, and thank you for for Carlos Martin for uh, for giving us some time talking about come dancing. And uh, thank you, Casey, for your usual stellar job as keeping me on track. And uh, thank you for everyone for listening. And um, we might actually have a, a special podcast later in the week that you'll be able to see on 
on Facebook or on Twitter. Um, I have to talk to, to there's a certain person I've been wanting to, to interview about a certain thing, a couple of specifics, and they just weren't able to make it today. But uh, we might uh, might have something on this week. But I'm not making any promises, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Well, thank you again, uh, and we'll see you next week. This is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by Horseman Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com and log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast.